Teron Lowe. Seven straight points by Ivers. It looked like he was dead in the water. Ball slips her by Phoenix. Jordan. Open. Chicago with the lead. If that's the last image of Michael Jordan, how magnificent the series. It's Lillard. He got the shot off. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the 3 and D. I'm Paul Lombardi, and I'd like to welcome everyone back to the Review and Preview Network for my weekly NBA and college basketball show. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. In tonight's episode, we'll be looking at the draft withdrawal deadline decisions that are happening right now, as today is the deadline to for college players who declared for the draft who are just testing the waters to go back to school. Uh, Some of the updates with that, some more head coaching news, a St. John's preview for 21-22 after the news that broke this week, uh, you know, regarding the Johnnies. And later, Bucks fan Tom Scavetta and Suns fan Jordan Spurgeon joined the show for an NBA Finals roundtable. So I hope everyone's doing well. Remember, uh, give us a like, give us some comments, anything that's on your mind, would love to hear it, but Jam-packed week of basketball we got going on. Obviously, the NBA Finals. Obviously, the NBA Draft. we got a lot of things going on. And college basketball uh, has a bunch of headlines, too. And, you know, we'll start off the show with that. First off, some NBA Draft news, most importantly. Um, today's Today was the deadline to withdraw from the NBA Draft. Uh, it, the draft is scheduled for July 29th. And today's the deadline for players who are testing the waters to withdraw and go back to school. Uh, we've heard from a lot of players so far by midnight tonight. There's still a few players, Johnny Juzang, uh, Max A. Smith, to name a few that are still out there that are, that are yet to make their decisions. But a few notable ones who have decided to go back to school, Marcus Carr, junior from Minnesota, point guard, uh, he's going to go back to school. He's currently in the transfer portal. Uh, apparently, he has looked at Louisville, I saw. He looked at Duke. He looked at Kentucky. There's He's got some big blue bloods that are uh, that are going after him. So I don't think he's going to return to Minnesota, but he's withdrawing from the NBA draft for his senior year. Jalen Wilson from Kansas, who was a freshman this past year, one of their top recruits. Uh, he had a bit of a letdown year, so he didn't have much of an NBA draft. So he's going back just – firepower everywhere in that Kansas lineup. Now he'll be a sophomore next year. Another Kansas Jayhawk, Oshea Agbaji, is headed back. Offensive and, and a you know nice 3 and D guy, as the name of the show is called. Uh, 
He's going to be a senior next year. He's been one of their big catalysts over the last several years uh, of their deep run. So I'm excited to see him go back. Orlando Robinson Jr., a little mid-major love right there from Fresno State. Sophomore, big man. Uh, He's going back to school. He's going to go for back for his junior year at Fresno State. He played in the NBA G League Combine, but wants to improve his draft stock even more. He's got great size, nearly seven feet tall, could have some NBA potential. So we'll see how that goes. Marcus Bagley announced today, Arizona state freshman who's in the transfer portal right now. Uh, He decided to go back. He was supposed to be a mid second round pick and he decided to work on his craft even more. I think that was a smart decision. He was in some first rounders throughout the season this past year. And he fell all the way to second round. He's got a lot of potential. Marvin Bagley's brother on the Sacramento Kings. Uh, he's in the transfer portal too. A lot of big schools are looking at him. So it'll be, it's going to be very interesting to see um, where it goes with, the, with Bagley in the transfer portal. But Terrence Shannon Jr. also just came out and said that he's going back to Texas Tech. He was a sophomore Another great 3 and D guy. He was another projected second-round pick. He's going to go back to try to up his stock, try to get into the first round. And then Ron Harper Jr. from Rutgers is going back for his senior year. Um, So Rutgers is retaining almost all of their key players besides Mathis, who's going to St. John's. But uh, Harper was one of the best players, was – probably the best player for Rutgers last year, son of former NBA player Ron Harper Sr. He is much bigger than his dad, plays the forward. He had a bit of a draft stock throughout the season that kind of plummeted. He was in the NBA draft, uh, the NBA G League draft, uh, the NBA G League draft combine. So there was that, and he's going to try to improve his stock a little bit more. Santi Aldama from Loyola, Maryland, another mid-major, uh, put up big numbers, 21-10 this past year for Loyola. He's going to stay in the draft, and same with Jason Preston from Ohio. Preston is slated to go anywhere between 25 and 35 in this year's draft. Point guard from Ohio, you know, one of the big stories of the of the March Madness this past year as Ohio, uh, you know, Pulled a couple of upsets, and Preston was their star player, averaged 14, 7 to 7, big point card. You know, he went from a bench warmer in high school to an aspiring uh, sports journalist to the star of the Ohio Bobcats and now a potential first round pick in the NBA. So it's going to be exciting to see. Definitely going to be really exciting to see. And Kofi Coburn, too, withdraws from the draft and enters the transfer portal. So that was big news. Uh, Kofi, one of the top players for Illinois the past couple of years. He was a big-time freshman. He was didn't have much of a draft stock. He's going to go back. Kentucky seems to be hot on his trail, so that's a big team to watch out for. You know, the transfer portal is heating up now because Marcus Carr, Marcus Bagley, Kofi Coburn, uh, they're all withdrawing from the draft and still in the transfer portal, so... Those are three big names to spend your top school can land them. But as I said before, uh, Julian Champagne from St. John's is headed back to school for his junior year. So with that being said, now St. John's 21-22 season outlook we got. So they pretty much have a set roster now, as you, as you guys know, I'm a St. John's fan. So 
always got to run through this. Uh, you know, with Champagny returning, the Red Storm are definitely going to be poised to make a run in the Big East this year. They should be one of the highly anticipated teams in the Big East during the preseason, I would think. Um, they got a bunch of transfers coming in. They got their star player, Champagny, coming back. And there's a few guys that I put together uh, what I think the projected starting lineup will be. I think Posh Alexander and Montez Mathis, who's a senior transfer from Rutgers, was one of their best players. Came over from Rutgers, is going to be the backcourt, and then Champagny. Aaron Wheeler, who's going to be a, a redshirt junior transfer from Purdue, went to high school with him. A little fun fact right there. Uh, before he transferred to uh, one of the uh, – what do you call it? One of the bigger schools in Connecticut, one of the uh, prep schools in Connecticut. He was at my high school. Joel Soriano, too, transferred from Fordham, who's a junior big man. I think that that's going to round out the starting five. That's probably the way it's going to go. And they got a bunch of freshmen coming in, too. So on the bench, Omar Stanley, who's incoming freshman, Raphael Pinzen, who's a guard, point guard, highly sought after New York City kid. He's, he's got a lot to look forward to. And Dresa Treor, who is also an incoming freshman. And then a couple more transfers on the bench. Steph Smith, who's going to be a senior, transfer from Vermont, will come in. Uh, the Juco transfer, Isahia Enyiwe. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I'll get the hang of that you know, as the season goes on. But And then they got some returning players, Dylan Adewusu who played well at the end of last season, honestly, and he could have a shot of cracking the starting lineup at some point during the season. Jalen Rosemond and Artemios Gavalis round out the bench. So definitely is going to be an exciting year for the Johnnies. I think that they're going to be able to put together a competitive team. The Big East is kind of wide open. There's a lot of guys leaving for the draft in the Big East, but you can always count on Villanova being good. Creighton's got a couple more guys coming in. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see, you know, how it goes. Uh, and I think the Johnnies are going to be right at the top. Posh Alexander had a breakout freshman year last year. There's a lot you can expect from him in his sophomore year. Montez Mathis was one of Rutgers' best players as they were a top 25 team last year. Uh, and he's going to be a senior. Aaron Wheeler has been apparently wowing a ton of the players within – St. John's, ton of coaches within St. John's too. And they think he's poised for a big year. He's kind of set, sat behind, uh, lost playing time in Purdue, but he's six eight. He's got a ton of athleticism, elusiveness, and they think that he can be a, a very good player. And then Champagny, you know, Champagny was the star, one of the best players in the Big East last year and had a little bit of a draft stock, but decided to come back, which I think was inevitably the right move. So that's the most, for the most part, the NBA draft news, college basketball news. So, and Johnny Juzang still going to make his decision. Max Eastmas from Oral Roberts still needs to make his decision. But for the most part, we got a lot of, we found out almost everybody who's important who's going to be in the NBA draft. And more importantly, who's returning back to school and who's in the transfer portal. So going to be a lot more interesting headlines that come throughout the next few weeks, too, with the intense transfer portal, the NBA draft happening, and so on. So now jumping into the NBA, we're going to get to the NBA Finals uh, in just a few minutes. Obviously, big game one yesterday, but 
quick one to go over. Nate McMillan was hired as the permanent head coach of the Hawks. Uh, this was kind of a given, no surprise at all, but it's, it did happen. McMillan will be, is going to be promoted from interim to full-time head coach of the Hawks. Uh, that he was 27 and 11 after taking over for Lloyd Pierce as head coach and brought Atlanta to an improbable Eastern Conference Finals appearance this year after, but before they lost to the Milwaukee Bucks, who are now in the finals. But McMillan's career 688 and 599 record for as head coach for the Seattle Supersonics, where he used to play back in the 90s, Portland Trailblazers, Indiana Pacers, and the Atlanta Hawks. So he'll be 57 this upcoming season. So this was. They had to do this. Uh, there was no way that they could have gone anywhere else. We got we got a comment here from Mario. Do you think the Hawks take a step back next season? I think I think they're going to jump right into it. To be honest with you, I think they're going to be even fiercer than they were this season. They came. They struggled a ton to start the season last year. It's especially because when Lloyd Pierce was still their head coach. But when Nate McMillan took over, they locked in. I think they have amazing young talent. They have another first-round pick this year to add more depth to their bench. Uh, Cam Reddish is going to be back for a full season. DeAndre Hunter should be back. Uh, I, th- I think it's going to be exciting stuff, and I think that the Hawks are going to be right at the top of the East. They're going to be even better than a five seed next year, at least as the way it looks now. You never know, too, with free agency, if they'll be able to sign guys. You know, if they'll be if they'll end up losing guys, but I think it's just the beginning of the Hawks uh, take, dominating. But do they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals next year? It all depends on if the Nets are fully healthy. Depends on if the Sixers are fully healthy. If there's a Ben trade somewhere in the mix. Uh, so in that set, in that sense, they could take a step back by not making it to the Eastern Conference Finals next year. But a lot of improbables, a lot of improbable things that you know we can't figure out right now to that would have to happen for that you know you got a couple of teams in the bucks too so you know you got you still have the teams that are at the top of the east they're going to be fierce they're definitely going to attack the bucks are going to the uh bucks if they were to lose the nba finals are going to be fierce in the in free agency the nets are a hundred percent going to be fierce in free agency they're going to be going after trades they're going to be trying to sign whoever they can try to get some depth uh because what they had last year didn't work just the big three they need some depth sixers will definitely come in fierce they're so close but they just can't get over the hump in the playoffs uh so i think that the hawks are the east conference becoming very tall you know, the Eastern Commerce used to be a cakewalk for all those years. It's becoming a little bit of a powerhouse. I wouldn't say it's a, a huge powerhouse, but we got a lot of star power in there and a lot of good young talent. So, and the Hawks are one of those teams. So, Nate McMillan will be the head coach for the next several years, I would think. McMillan's always been a great head coach. When he got fired from the Pacers this past year, it really shocked me. I thought it was kind of, I was thought it was kind of dumb to be honest. Uh, and the Pacers ended up stinking and not making the playoffs, and then Nate Bjorkman was fired. But they ended up getting Rick Carlisle, which is a huge upgrade. Uh, he's going to do well with the Pacers, start with the Pacers. So I think I think those were all good moves that ended up helping out in the long run. So now we will bring over to the NBA Finals. I got two great guests coming on. I got Suns super fan Jordan Spurgeon, and I got Bucks. Super fan and uh, review and preview host Tom Scavetta, both of them going to go head to head with these 
NBA Finals. Guys, how are we doing? What's going on? What's up, Jordan? We're going. Long time no see. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you guys on. Jordan, been trying to get you, been, you know, trying to squeeze you in for a little bit. You got the Suns making it deep. It's it's exciting. I did not expect what was going to happen um, with the Suns in this year's playoffs, you know, with the Lakers matchup, tough, tough, a few tough matchups that they made it through. What, what are your reactions to how the teams perform so far? Yeah, I wrote on this today. Uh, the cliche and every synonym in the dictionary for unexpected has been used for the Suns for the entire year. Um, oh, they're a second seed. Wow, that's unexpected. Oh, they beat the Lakers. That's unexpected. They sweep the Nuggets. That's unexpected. Uh, but being around the team and talking with them, they expected it from day one this year. After the 8-0 run in the bubble last year, they expected this. And sometimes you just have the right sort of meshing going on. And you get the right pieces. You got the right coach. You you hired Monty Williams, who could have gone to the Lakers yeah. or the Clippers. And somehow Robert Sarver and James Jones convinced him to come to little old Phoenix instead, which is really not a small town, but it does give that small town vibes around the Phoenix. Bit, yeah. So they really just – things are clicking for them right now, and this run is just something they're, they're soaking in. But everyone else might think it's unexpected, including myself, but the team, they're not surprised one, one bit. Yeah, definitely. When you when the Chris Paul trade happened in the preseason, you knew that uh, there is going to be some spark that came onto them. They were a noticeably different team last year in the bubble. There's no doubt about that. They went on that big win streak, and they looked. They were finally locking in. DeAndre Aiden was becoming the first round pick, the first overall pick that you know they wanted out of him. Booker is be you know has always been a stud over the last several years, but he's becoming a real player that you can win championships around uh and the, even the depth too. jay crowd the jay crowder signing was huge you know you got cameron Dean great in the bubble and were able to retain him like what those those pieces are some of the big pieces that i think really have led them to this point yeah this team every everything's clicked they have a great a great mixture you know you see the chris paul trade and my immediate reaction was okay it went eight on the bubble. They look like a team that has the opportunity to make a playoffs, maybe as a six or a seven seed. And uh, Chris Paul, just with his leadership and with everybody else kind of getting going at the right time, you've got about six players barely scratching their prime right now, all really starting to elevate their game at the same time. Devin Booker's only 24. Cam Johnson's only his second year in the league. He's the same age as Devin Booker. He's 24. Campaign's hitting his prime and Mikhail Bridges and – DeAndre Ayton's finally hitting his prime. And so you have this mixture of young guys that are hitting their primes at the same time. They're all balling out. They're trying to get their paycheck. They're all going to get paid eventually, not in Phoenix. There's no way they can all stay in Phoenix eventually, but they're all reaching that point. And then you sign the right players. You bring in Chris Paul, who wins everywhere he goes. He's never won a ring. That's the story. We all know that. But every team he's been on, they've become better. The Rockets became a championship caliber. The Clippers were the basement of the league for – 30-plus years, and they became a team that was in the playoffs year in and year out. The Thunder were in a rebuild, and they all of a sudden become a playoff team that looked like they actually had a chance last year. Things didn't go their way, but they were a pretty good team. And then in Phoenix, he just elevated them. And then Jay Crowder, important player. Like I know we'll get into the game, but only one point last night and was still plus 19 on the floor. That's huge. That's the kind of guys you need on a championship team. 
Oh, for sure. And I got a couple of questions for you about that Jay Crowder performance that we'll get to in a little bit. But Tom, going to pass it over to you. Game one, are you a little bit nervous on the Bucks side? How are you feeling about the Suns team? They seem locked in. It's they're 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 playing like an NBA championship team. I'll put it that way. They really are. They're playing like a team that should win the NBA Finals. Um. I don't know if I'd go that far just yet, Paul. I think Giannis, again, last night he wasn't 100%, but I'm going to be realistic and agree with Jordan. Phoenix is a scary basketball team. The unexpected notation behind this basketball team has elevated them to this point. I mean, this is their first time in a final since 1993, so might as well make the most of it. Um, for the Bucks, it's been 50 years. You know, you would think a 50-year mark would mean something. Um, yeah. I... And what's crazy, too, is both these teams came into the league together, right, back in 1968. Both There's so many storylines surrounding this series. And I think I'm not really nervous because in the last – yeah, well, am I nervous about, like, the outcome of the series? Of course. I think both sides are. Yeah, um, sure. am, I, am I nervous about digging ourselves into a big hole after game one? Not really. After going down one nothing to Brooklyn and then again to Atlanta. Uh, coming back in both of those series to take over. But I think the biggest thing is common trend is these are the top one and two teams in defensive rating in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, Jordan mentioned Jay Crowder. He's the only player with NBA finals experience. Um, Chris Paul not winning a championship, the Torrey Craig storyline being traded from the Bucks to the Suns. So yeah. in, in hindsight, Paul, am I a little nervous? Yes. Uh, am I going to go as far and, and say that um, I don't think the Bucks have a shot? Absolutely not. I think this series is going to be wild. I think it's going to be like a seesaw going back and forth. And I think what you saw from Giannis last night was quite promising, considering you know the guy's not 100%. Yeah. I mean, you just know it. And we'll get into the nuts and bolts of it in a little bit, I'm sure. But what a performance by both teams and uh, shout out to the Suns. You got to give credit where credit is due. They deserve that win last night. Chris Paul was outstanding. He's, he's the player I'm most scared of in this series, even over Devin Booker. Yeah, definitely. And you know, just like you were alluding to, too, this, this series has game seven written all over it. I think, you know, I think it's going to go back and forth. There's no reason. I don't think by any means, you know, even if you were worried about the Suns or anything, that the Bucks are buried or anything. Um, right. There's no, there's no doubt about that from losing Game One. Game One, you know, it's always good to get off to a one nothing start, but it's, things can change drastically in Game Ones. So, after Game Ones for the entire series. So, jumping into the game last night, though. Now the Suns lead one nothing. They they beat they beat the Bucks one eighteen to one oh five in game one last night. B three took over thirty two points and nine assists on twelve of nineteen from the field. Booker had twenty seven points and six assists, but shot a rough one for eight from three. Uh DeAndre Aiden continued his tear with twenty two points and nineteen boards. Cam Johnson and Cameron Payne both added ten off the bench which were both key pieces for the Suns, I think. And then for the on the Bucks side, Giannis had 20 points, 17 boards, and four assists while playing hurt. And that one chase down block, too, that we all remember, that was uh, that was pretty sick after being a game-time decision, obviously, with the hyperextended uh, knee. And then Chris Middleton is also continuing his tear, 29.7 boards, and it was 5 of 12 from three. 
Uh, Tom, we'll go to you first. Who do you think – what do you think were the best performances from the Bucks last night? Uh, best performances from the Bucks. I mean, I'm biasly going to say Giannis just due to the fact that he played. Um, I know 20 points. I believe he had 17 boards. I mean, the guy played 35 minutes. Um, yeah. Again, this guy hyperextended his knee in game four. Um, I was on team don't play Giannis in game one, but after seeing him yeah. play, um, I felt a lot more comfortable just with the way he was moving towards the early stages of the game because I thought the Bucks, um they lost the tempo about midway through the first quarter where the Suns, they were kind of trading possessions. And then once Saric left the game with the torn ACL, um, which yeah. is a real shame for him uh, and for Suns fans, I, I think that's when the momentum heavily shifted in the Suns' direction. So I'm going to go with Giannis and – I'm going to go with it, – it's it's tough because, yeah, Brooke Lopez scored, scored a lot of points, but he got torched in the pick and roll. Uh, I'm going to go Middleton only because he played 45 minutes. I mean, that's the obvious two guys, 29 points. You can't go wrong with that. And Middleton has stepped up ever since Giannis has gotten hurt. So I think he is a key, important piece to the series, and those are the two guys for me personally. I feel I get that. I get that definitely. Jordan, what do you think? Biggest storylines for the Suns, the biggest performances, what were your impacts for game one? Yeah, the the game was crazy. Uh the biggest thing for the Suns was free throws. Throughout the playoffs, I'm not on the, the side that maybe a lot of uh people in Phoenix are of refs kind of favoring Los Angeles teams. Um, but they were like they shot significantly less free throws in a lot of those series and still found a way to win, which is always impressive. Yeah. If you shoot less free throws and you're still winning games, that's a big thing. And yesterday they, I believe, didn't miss a free throw until Jay Crowder missed one at the end of the game. I think they go 25 or 26. They shot 10 more free throws than Milwaukee. That's a big thing. You win 118-105, free throws are a big reason why. So not only are they getting to the line, but they're finding a way to convert those free throws at a high clip. Um I liked the way that Monty Williams made adjustments on the fly. This is the difference in the series. Mike Budenholzer, yep. uh, through three quarters, didn't make an adjustment with Brooke Lopez. He was getting shredded by Paul and Booker on those screens and being forced to guard them. He can't do it. Finally, in the fourth quarter, when they go on a run, they play Giannis at the five, you bring out four guards out on the court, and they had a little bit more spacing. So it took them time. But Monty Williams adjusted right away. Sarge goes down. He brings in Frank Kaminsky who hasn't played like pretty much the entire postseason. He doesn't do anything. He's getting exposed right away, and he doesn't go back to him. He lets um, other guys step in. Cam Johnson, his minutes go up. Torrey Craig plays the five at certain times when they're spelling Aiton and giving Aiton some rest. So those in-game adjustments they made like that were the difference in the game. Because had the Bucks made adjustments earlier, it's a little bit of a closer game. I still think the Suns would have won game one, but that's going to be the difference in this series is who's going to make those in-game adjustments quicker because – I know the Bucks are going to come out, and I guarantee you Brooke Lopez is not going to be getting abused in the screen game right up, right at the opening tip. Like They're going to make that adjustment. But great teams make that adjustment from timeout to timeout or from quarter to quarter, not game to game. If you wait a whole game, you waste a game, basically. So that was the biggest difference. Oh, and then the first performers, I mean, Booker starting them out when Chris Paul couldn't hit anything in the beginning. Booker had 12 in the first. And then Chris Paul took his turn, end of the second, end of the third. Booker heated up at the end. So, I mean, those are the two guys that are going to stand out regardless. That backcourt, um, I expected Drew Holiday to maybe defend them a little better. So we'll see if that adjustment's made because he's kind of the difference here. 
I may not be a Pat Beverly guy, but he got in Booker's head a lot. And Booker struggled in the middle parts of that yeah. series. He did not shoot at a very high clip. I know he had the broken nose, and it was mask book, no mask, mask again. <laughs> and he really struggled, but Pat Beverly was the reason why. I don't think he's a yeah. good defender, but he got in Booker's head. And so Drew Holiday needs a little bit of that against the Suns this series. Definitely. And I think that that's going to be the key. And, you know, Booker's shooting woes, too, last night. He was uh, one for eight from three. Is, does the, is that going to be a big impact if he can't fit out of Hall puts the clumps on him? If, you know, Chris Middleton, if they start double-teaming him, do you think that, that, that that's going to be a big impact in the long run? Because he is their main source of offense, pretty obviously. I'm of the mindset he needs to shoot less threes. Uh, that mid-range game that he's got going on right now, him and Chris Paul, they are firing on all cylinders. I don't think there's an answer. Even if Drew Holiday steps up, there's not an answer for that mid-range game off the pick and roll. They have that down to a science. So as long as they're not relying on him to hit those threes. So if Cam Johnson's hitting threes at a historically high rate, he's shooting off the charts from beyond the arc. If Cam Payne can come in and hit 31-footers with his awkward jump shot every once in a while and yeah. you know light up the stadium, especially at home where the, the crowd has been absolutely insane. I've been trying to get the decibel numbers all day from the Suns because they, they're, they're, it was insane last night. Um, they're not going to need to rely on Devin Booker to hit those threes as long as other guys are hitting them. If other guys aren't, that's where there's going to be trouble because Booker's not a great three-point shooter. He's an elite yeah. shooter all around. He's not a great three-point shooter. So if he can lower the volume and pick his spots, they'll be just fine, at least in that department. A very in a much higher level of DeMar DeRozan is what I can see is what I see from Devin Booker on the offensive end. I've been seeing that for years. I completely agree with you. You know, he can hit the threes when needed, but he's a lethal inside the three point line type of score. And you know, same with Chris Paul. Chris Paul can hit threes, but he's that pick and roll has become amazing. Monty Williams, that's his specialty. You know, he's been he's been running that with uh, Chris Paul back in his days with the Hornets when he was coaching them. Uh, you know, that's that's something that he brings along and kind of Chris Paul's brought along his entire career. And DeAndre Aiden is a perfect fit for you know that's for that situation. So jumping over to Tom, I got I got a question about Buck's bench. So with Pat Connaughton, the only Buck getting more than 14 minutes off the bench, do you want to see any other bench players getting big roles in game two? Do you think that there was just too much emphasis on the starting five? Because Connaughton played 29 minutes, but no one else played more than 14 minutes off that bench. Do you think that Bobby Porras has to step step up more? What is what are your thoughts about that? Well, Bobby Porras couldn't stay in the game because of the way the Suns were playing. Uh, And you could pretty much make the same excuse for Brooke Lopez. I mean, there's a reason why we went out and got PJ Tucker, who, by the way, played five seasons with the Suns, uh, which is another interesting storyline. But Jordan hit it on the nail. As valuable as Brooke Lopez is in drop coverage, he's very vulnerable as a switch defender. Um, mm-hmm. The Bucks had their best success last night playing with that small lineup with Giannis as the five, but it's hard to play small ball when you're without Dante DiVincenzo, who was your starting two guard for the entire year. Now you don't have him. So if you're playing small ball, Pat Connaughton is going to start with Middleton, Holiday, Tucker, and Giannis and – you know, as big of a Notre Dame fan that I am, uh, they are going to pick him apart in that pick and roll game. Chris Paul, every time Bryn Forbes is on the floor, uh, uh, Bryn Forbes, Pat Connaughton, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, they attack those four. They got the off switch with Drew Holiday. Coach Budenholzer is going to have to adjust. I just, I don't know. Could the Bucs win the series without Brooke Lopez out on the floor? I don't know. 
Um, they made the adjustment in the Hawks series, but Chris Paul and Trey, uh, Trey Young, Chris Paul and Devin Booker is a little bit more challenging than um, Trey Young and Kevin Herter because Chris Paul's been doing this for 16 years. Um, I don't think any player on the bench should have gotten more minutes last night um, only because of the way the Suns were playing. They dominated. They dominated, and um, they're going to have to make adjustments in game two. They missed DiVincenzo a lot. They they didn't need him as much in the Brooklyn series and, and the Hawks series but they really could have used him in this series. And it's a shame that he's not available. Yeah. That brings me to my next question too. You know, with Giannis being obviously the star player that he is and being one of the best players in the league, you know, a lot of people are starting to question, does the team run better with it better when he's not playing almost when mm-hmm. he's, as we saw at the end of the last series, you know, against the Hawks, does the team, does the ball movement work a little bit better when there's less bully ball, when there's less ISO for Giannis? You know, obviously, you there's there's no bigger impact on the defensive end to have Giannis out there, and there's no bigger mismatch than having a 6'11 guy that can handle the ball like Giannis can. But in any sense, does it seem like Budenholzer can almost write up better better plays, a better flowing offense when Giannis isn't in the game? I would hope so because Budenholzer, look, guys, he spent 17 seasons under Greg Popovich as one of his top assistants, and this guy's a two-time NBA coach of the year, so you know adjustments are coming. Um, I, Bucks fans are still calling for him to be fired, which I think is ridiculous because who are you going to re- replace him with, number one? Uh, and number two, this guy grew up in Arizona. It's not like he doesn't know the area. He more than likely grew up a Suns fan. Right. So um, in all honesty, guys, I think Budenholzer is going to have to find a way to keep Brooke Lopez on the floor. I do think you would like to see an uptick in minutes for Bobby Portis. Uh, The big issue with the Bucs last night was the turnovers in the second half. Right. The third quarter is where the Suns really started to distance themselves. And then the Bucs had that mini run where they cut the score to within seven. Um, Mike Budenholzer is going to have to find a way to contain Chris Paul to eliminate his mid-range game. It's almost as where you want to give up more three-point shots, which is crazy to say because the name of the show is the 3 and D, and the NBA has turned into a three-point league. And Jordan mentioned it before, Devin Booker, who a lot of people um, tab him as this three-point specialist. And I know, know, Jordan, I know you've been – in the arena with the Suns a lot lately. Um, He's more of a mid-range shooter. That's what he is. He knocks that down more often than not. The Bucs need to, I think, push the Suns out towards the perimeter more to have a chance to win this series. I agree with that. What do you think, Jordan? Yeah, that's 100%. The Brooke Lopez question, I mean, they play the way they played last night. He's unplayable. The workaround is it's twofold. You need Drew Holiday to be able to take on CP3. And the argument I've been hearing is you put Giannis on Booker because if you get the switch, you still have a big man inside to take care of Aiden. Because if yep. Lopez is off the floor and Giannis is playing the five and you put Giannis on Booker on those high screens, well, if he stays on Booker on the switch, you're going to have an easy lane. Aiden's going to eat up P.J. Tucker all day long. He did yeah, it yesterday. Right. Anytime P.J. Tucker was on him, exactly. Aiden got into the lane. He forced his way. Whether he made the shot or not, he was aggressive and went after it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. Brooke Lopez, I don't think he can necessarily guard Aiden either, but he's a bigger body that gives 
gives some sort of presence inside where they're a little bit – he's going to be just a step more hesitant than he would be against a guy like P.J. Tucker. And then obviously if Giannis in that scenario stays on Aiden, then Booker's going to just do what he does, get into the mid-range, find an open shooter, or hit a shot himself. So that's kind of the only way I see it where they need to find a way to get those minutes when Aiden's on the floor to have Brooke Lopez out there but don't let him get exposed. And it really starts with Drew Holiday. If he does his job so you don't have two guards at the top that can kind of do the same thing, right. they'll be a little bit better off. And then that that's really the biggest thing because right now, if, if yesterday's any indication, I wouldn't even play Brooke Lopez more than 10, 15 minutes here and there because – He's just going to be a liability on defense. And if the Suns team gets hot, like they can score 35, 40 points in a quarter just like that when they get hot. And they do that when they're able to get Aiton inside. And then Booker hits a mid-range jumper a couple times down the floor. And then Chris Paul starts doing crazy things in the lane and starts breaking ankles. Next thing you know, they've scored 12 points in less than a minute because they can do that just like that once they get those mismatches. Yeah, I think that I agree with that. That's why I think Bobby Porter should get more minutes. I think that uh, his physicality is going is going to be something that's very important, you know, to stop in this team, especially on the offensive end. And you know, the, there's a little bit. It's getting exposed a little bit. The Bucks don't have a ton of big man depth. That's what's uh, that's what the big problem is. You know, they need to you know, address in this year's draft. They got to go try to sign somebody this offseason. Obviously, you're trying to win the championship now, so you're not worried about the draft in the offseason. But they they have a little bit of an issue down low, and especially when you're going up against guys like DeAndre Eden, who's, you know, young and fierce and is becoming one of the best centers in the NBA. I uh, I think that it's very difficult. Brook Lopez, you know, he's getting older. He's not nearly the same Brook Lopez as as he used to be. He's still efficient on the offensive end, but it's, but on the defensive end, you know, that's why I think you got to play Portis more minutes because Portis is Portis is strong. He does all the dirty work too. He can get into Aiden's face. He can get you know, kind of disrupt him a little bit. I think that that's that's all a key part. And part of that, too, the biggest difference I see, the Suns' big men, when they're out there, they know their role. I haven't seen Aiden at the three-point line this entire playoffs. I've seen him maybe shoot one. And Brooke Lopez can hit those threes. Like, he's definitely Mm -hmm. capable of it. Giannis, every once in a while, can, too. But they kind of live out there by the three-point line sometimes, and they're almost like wasting space at that point. Where the Suns, I mean, I've heard this reference from multiple places, and it stuck with me, but they look like an old-school basketball team. We play a lot of positionless basketball nowadays. They've got the traditional point guard in Chris Paul. You've got two really good wings. One's young and up-and-coming. One's old veteran. They can both play great defense. They can both hit threes. If one does one, one does the other better one game, they're fine. You have a shooting guard like Booker, and then you have a seven-footer who just sets screens, gets rebounds, and dumps the ball. And that's what they do. And the difference with the Bucks they don't fit into that mold because they don't necessarily have their roles defined. And that's okay because that's basketball works. That's how it works in the NBA nowadays. But we're seeing that kind of lead to lead to different lanes that the Suns are able to take advantage of because they know exactly what they're doing at pretty much any given time. And that's really the value of Chris Paul, whether he's scoring 30 points or not, it's because he's able to set that up for them. And that's really the difference right now is they have sort of that defined role on the team, whether they're on the bench or in the starting lineup, they have their roles and they're just playing them really well. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Tom? 
to kind of add to that point that Jordan was making, the Suns, he mentioned, were 25 to 26 from the line last night. They're getting to the foul line a lot more than the Bucks were. The Bucks were 9 for 16. So the Suns had 10 more free throw attempts than the Bucks. Uh, the Bucks made 16 threes, but some of those were late in the game when they were trying to play catch-up, guys. Don't let the stats fool you. Some, I mean, yes, they tell the story, but they don't tell the full big picture yeah. of the basketball game. But one thing I will say, though, the Suns were only 11 of 34 from deep. That is the key, right? I mean, we sit yeah, here and we, right, uh, we sit here and we talk about this whole mid-range, 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 and that's the key to the series. As, as ridiculous as it sounds, we can spend an hour talking about that. That's what it's going to come down to. The Suns are attacking in the paint like an old-school basketball team, which is what you want to see, by the way. Um, and DeAndre Ayton, people were questioning whether or not he was ready for the series, whether or not he would, he would be ready for the NBA finals and much rather have him than Brooke Lopez right now, as much as, uh, you know, I want Brooke Lopez to be himself out there and on the floor, but he can't be splash mountain to the extent that he he's been throughout the course of the playoffs and the regular season, because what that leads is, you know, you're shooting too many threes that leads to fast break points. Right. Um, yeah. We know Drew Holiday is an all NBA first team defensive guy, but with the lack of depth in the backcourt, you can't risk living and dying on the three point shot. You want to get Bobby Portis in the game to give him some rest, to give Giannis some rest. You want to get Bryn Forbes in there. Um, you don't want Bryn Forbes going crazy shooting threes either. You want the ball in Chris Middleton's hands, right? Or Giannis's hands on the inside. If you want to shoot, give the ball to Hop. And Drew Holiday is—he didn't have a good game last night. I know. I mean, he—he he just wasn't there. And that's another thing too. If he's there, now there's a good chance this game's a lot tighter than it is. There's so many what ifs in this series, guys. I mean, you know, once Saric left the game, I thought, oh, Giannis is going to feast and going to drop thirty because they didn't have the depth behind Aiton. But yeah leads to tell me that that wasn't the case and whether you believe it or not the Suns have a clear advantage in this series right now regardless everyone's worried about who's going to defend the honest but who's going to defend the Phoenix Suns it's their big three against our against the Bucks big three and right now I'd rather have the Suns big three absolutely they're much more locked in and they're playing old school basketball which is the key they have much more identity right now it seems like than the bucks the bucks are shooting a lot of threes and a little inconsistent you know drew holiday has not been that guy on the offensive end that they would hope that they have hoped for the entire playoffs basically chris middleton has kind of picked up the slack uh, i would i would disagree with that a little bit only okay. because of what we saw from Eric Bledsoe last year, and especially late. In He's an upgrade from Eric Bledsoe for sure. Oh, a hundred percent. As far yeah. as disappoint, as far as a disappointment, maybe. But he he's a clear upgrade, and he's scoring points when it matters. It's just last night he didn't show up. I just think it yeah. takes him a little bit longer to get his feet wet, and nerves were obviously there. A lot of these guys have never been in the finals before on the road. Game one, you got to get your feet wet a little bit, and the nerves got him, but. I guess you're right to an extent. I just don't. I, I wouldn't. You know. I, I don't. I don't think he's been bad. Yeah, he he hasn't been bad, and he's he's been disappointing because of in Drew Holiday standards. You know, you would you expect him throughout his entire career. He's a great offensive player, and he's a superb defensive player. But you know, he can hit threes, and he's uh, close to twenty point per game scorer too. 
you know, and he's and he hasn't been to that standard for like most of the playoffs. He's still by far an upgrade over Eric Blood. So, you know, anybody who was debating that there, I saw some people who were debating that at the beginning of the playoffs. I thought it was ridiculous. Like that was it's actually laughable. Eric Blood's a <laughs> yeah. good player too. Like I actually like Eric Blood, so I don't I don't dislike him, but we're talking about Drew Holiday right here, who's a perennial all defensive team guy who, you know, has been in the league. He was close to a 20 point game point per game score. Does it on both ends of the court professional. You know, he's, he's one of the best in the entire league, you know, one of the best point guards and one of the most uh, underrated point guards too. You know, a lot of people don't, when you rank all the top point guards in the league, a lot of people don't throw Drew Holiday up there, but you know, he might not be in the same class as, you know, maybe a Kyrie and uh, Westbrook and, a Lillard and a Luca, if you want to consider him a point guard, but he's right in that top 10, I think. But jump back to you, Jordan. So the Jay Crowder performance last night, he was 0 for 8 from the field with one point, but had nine rebounds in 33 minutes. And just like you said, he was like plus 20 something uh, with his plus minus. Does he need to be more impactful on the offensive end, do you think, during this series? Or is that his role? Is he? Even if he's 0 for 9, even if he just scores one point, he grabs nine boards, plays 30-plus minutes, is that good enough to keep them winning? When the other players around him play the way they do, especially Mikael Bridges, those two are linked together. They're the starting forwards. Mikael Bridges disappeared in the Western Conference Finals. He played good defense and wasn't hitting shots. And Jay Crowder stepped up at times. So Mikael Bridges played really well last night. He hit some shots. He played good defense. And so Jay Crowder's job is just to really be the gritty guy, be the guy that's two technical fouls away from being suspended for a game. That's something that, you know, they kind of needed on this team. And there, there are a lot of nice guys on this team. And Jay Crowder's a really nice guy too. But on the court, like, he's that feisty guy that's going to get in your face. So eventually he's going to have to hit some threes. I mean, he had two last night that were just complete – like, they were air balls from 30 feet out. I don't know why he was shooting them. They were, they were yeah. rough to watch. Like, everyone inside the arena just kind of – after the first quarter, every time he shot, they just kind of lost their energy because it was it was rough last night. But the only thing that concerns me is Jay Crowder has a history in the finals of not hitting big shots when they need yeah. him. And so I think the Suns realize he's not going to be the guy they need to hit a big shot in a big moment, but he's going to need to hit some threes eventually. But as long as Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, who's going to get a lot more minutes now with Saric out, if they're hitting threes, Jay Crowder just needs to do him take the open shots when they're there and just play defense. Like he's the ultimate three and D guy right now on this team. And if the three is gone, he still provides good enough defense to justify him playing out there, especially when the bucks go a little bit smaller. And even when they don't, he's a guy that can still, you know, make, make things harder for Chris Middleton. Middleton's going to get his numbers, but Crowder's going to see him a little bit. He can body Giannis a little bit. Giannis still is going to, you know, get his against anybody on the court right now, but he makes it just a little bit tougher on Giannis. So, I really don't think the shot making's a concern, but I do expect him to hit a little bit more moving forward in this series. And it was his birthday yesterday too, which really blew me away that he had to do so bad on his birthday. That kind of hurt. Hey, that's great. What did he turn thirty? Is he is he thirty now? I think so. Thirty? Yeah, it was thirty. Yeah, it was thirty. That's pretty. That's pretty insane. Are you going to be back there for game two? Yeah. I actually won tickets yesterday, so went just in the stands. And tomorrow I'll be working in the press box. That'll be that'll be cool to be there and just kind of see how it all unfolds tomorrow. Yeah, you got to tell us a little bit about your role with the Suns. That's really cool. Yeah, so I still go to Arizona State at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. I've got one more semester, and then I'm out of there. 
Uh, but I have a full-time job at a company out here called Sports 360 AZ. Uh, so we're just a web platform. We have a TV show on Bali Sports Arizona every week that we oh, nice. produce. Yeah, we're going to have three now because we just signed. We got some deals coming with DraftKings and some other people as well. So we're, we're growing a lot. And so I just get to, you know, I have the opportunity to go out and cover all the teams out here. I do a lot of high school sports, but I've been doing a ton for the Suns. I've just been doing mostly written articles and stuff, but doing some features here and there. And then uh, Cardinals eventually in the fall, I'll kind of be the beat reporter on that. So really just in and around and just covering everything around Arizona right now. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, so jump back over to you, Tom. Adjustments for game two. What do you? What would you say that the Bucks need to? The keys for the Bucks for Game Two. Use Holiday more on the off switch. Um, if you're Brooke Lopez, not to beat around the bush, make sure you get into that drop coverage position. Do not be the switch defender. Uh, I'd like to see PJ Tucker guarding Devin Booker a little more in the yeah. mid range because they're around the same height, even though they play two different positions. He's kind of like our older version of Jay Crowder. Um, and I'd like to see the Bucks attack the paint more and shoot the three less, um, shorten the game a little bit. Because Monty Williams, who, by the way, I, I think should have won coach of the year, um, which, by the way, I don't, know if, I don't know if you guys knew this. What do Monty Williams and Pat Connaughton have in common? Do either of you know? I don't know. Monty Williams and Pat Connaughton? No, I don't know. Both played at Notre Dame. Oh, Monty Williams played at Notre Dame? Yep. I don't even think I realized that. 1984 cool. to 1994. Um, yeah. yeah, so I, I, I'm a big Monty Williams guy. I like I like him a lot. So, yeah, there's a little bias there. I just – I think the adjustments is Mike Budenholzer needs to find a way to out-coach Monty Williams. And if the Bucks are able to snag one on the road, out of those first two, they've done their job. Right. That's yeah. that's the goal as the away team. You want to win one of the first two on the road. Um, you know, that's me being realistic. And again, find a way to continue to spread out what would have been DiVincenzo's minutes in the appropriate way. Don't I look, I don't. They're they're giving Pat Connaughton starting minutes, which, you know, they don't have another choice. Who's better? I mean, you know, he. Everyone was making you know jokes about Divincenzo's defense during the season, but you'd, ra- you'd much rather have him now than the combination of uh, Pat and Forbes. They can't keep up, so they have to find a way to contain the Suns in the mid range and uh, attack the paint more. So those are my keys. Nice, Jordan. What do you think the key for the Suns will be for Game Two to take a two zero lead? For them, they just need to show a sense of urgency um, against the Clippers. The two games they lost, really, they weren't necessarily outplayed. They just were out-hustled because the Clippers were more desperate. And, you know, like you said, Tom, the Bucks' goal is to win a game on the road. So I expect them to come out and play with some desperation. I expect Giannis to play play with a sense of urgency. And so if the Suns stay without that urgency and they just kind of roll out there and they get off to a slow start, it's going to be a long day because the one thing about the Bucks, they're probably the best front-running team in the NBA. They don't blow too many leads. From my from yeah. my understanding, they don't. They are a front-running team. They're like the Baltimore Ravens in the NFL. They have a lead. Yeah. They're fine. It's when they yep. get down, it's very difficult to win. Giannis is just that. That's just his personality. It's kind of how he is. Like when he's able to front-run, he's good. So 
for the Suns, it's just about showing a sense of urgency. Um, the shots are going to fall. Um, I would say I don't want them shooting 34 threes like they did the other night. I think under 30 is a good number for them. They hit 10 of 30. That's a really great night. If they hit 8 of 25, good enough for them because that's not what they live and die by. Um, they really yeah. only have two guys that I like shooting threes, and that's Cam Johnson and Campaign. Everybody else, at, at times, I don't like them even shooting threes. I guess I could throw yeah. Mikael Peters in there too when he's feeling good, but that's the biggest thing for them. They have everything else in place. They know how they play. The rotation set. Monty Williams is going to make adjustments, but all it comes down to for them is do they play with a sense of urgency? Because if they play a sense of urgency every game, it's, it's a quick five-game series. If they don't, this, this series draws out to seven. Yeah. If, they, if there's a couple games where they don't bring it, it's going to be a seven-game series. Right now, they're the better overall team, just the way they're playing. But it comes down to, will they feel the pressure and play this emergency? Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that those are good points. Game two is going to be huge. Going to be interesting to see if the Suns can capitalize on the home court advantage or if the Bucks can even it up heading back to Milwaukee. So, well, that's going to wrap it up for tonight's episode. I want to thank everyone who tuned into the Review and Preview Network to watch another episode of the 3 and D and to all those listening via podcasts, YouTube, etc. You can also follow the show on Twitter at the 3 and D. Tom and Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there anything else you guys want to add? I'll be very realistic when I say this because I know Jordan kind of gave like a, a what he would think prediction. Um my heart wants to say Bucks in, in, in seven. If it gets that far, the Suns will take game seven because it's yeah. at home. Uh, they are the better basketball team right now, and they should win this series. Yeah. That's coming from a Bucks fan. <laughs> yeah. I'm at the same point. I, I don't know how they lose a game just seeing the atmosphere at home, but I, th- I think there's a good chance for the Bucks to, to steal a couple games. And there's still a chance for them to win. The biggest difference is can they close the game? I haven't seen that yet from them, other than Kevin Durant being exhausted in that game seven of the Mets series. When I guess they closed out that game, but that was the ugliest overtime ever. Um, but outside of that, this series, you know, I think it's a five or six game series with the Suns on top, but seven's still right in that realm of possibility. So we'll see. Definitely. I completely agree. Hope everyone enjoys the rest of their week and stay tuned for more updates and brand new episodes coming every Monday at seven. This was a special Wednesday night episode, but don't but tune in next week, Monday at night at seven, going back to our normal time. Have a great night, everyone.